But these verses we're going to focus on. We're going to read a little bit of a passage there, but there's four verses we're going to focus on. And what has happened is I was uh, coming back to Mary Krista this summer. Well, we got married in September, but I came, you know, in July, uh, beginning of July. And as I was packing up a Scott, and it was a little bit of a stressful time because, you know, I was kind of packing up my life and my ministry there in Scotland for a short time. And it gets a little stressful. I mean, my whole life from a few, few of my places that my life had gone had finally accumulated and shown up in Scotland. You know, my, my life in Africa had been in storage, and it finally showed up there in Scotland. My life in Montana had, had showed up, and all the things you need for a, a, a fun Montana life had shown up in Scotland. And then nine uh, years of living there in Scotland, my little apartment, you know, they call a flat, had all gone and gotten to this little place. And Scotland's an expensive country. When I looked at storage, man, it was just way too expensive. It was ridiculous. Nothing I owned was worth the cost of the storage. And so I had the opportunity that whatever I wanted to keep, I had four old suitcases that I could put it in there. Whatever could fit in those four suitcases, that's what I could keep. Now, it turned into four suitcases and two plastic tubs because I'm not very good at at winnowing out. But if you've ever had that chance to kind of pare down your life, maybe you've, you've had the opportunity, maybe you were forced into the opportunity, sometimes it can be really good, but sometimes it can be really stressful. And that's kind of where the point I was getting to. I was weeks away from coming back to America. I'd sold my car. I'd let my apartment go and had to get that ready to, to turn it back over to the landlady. And, and I'm going through my things now, and it spread all over the backyard, the garden, as we say there, just trying to figure out what is super important. And I'm going through everything, and I'm, I can be a little you know, sentimental about things. I'm like, everything's important. And we're going through, like, oh, I always wanted to do that. I, I, man, I didn't get time to do it yet, but I'll do it yet one day. You come across things like, oh, it's my little teddy bear. I've had that since I was four years old. And you're like, how do I get rid of all these things? And then I came across this old yellowed piece of paper from back when I left college to go as a short-term missionary back to South Africa. And the same verses in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, were on these papers. And, and uh, it kind of struck me that the Lord gave me that again. He had put it in my life at the time, leaving because it was important. And right then and there, it reminded me of a very immediate truth. It, very, it has long-term implications and life-changing implications for every Christian, I think, every follower of God. But at that moment, it reminded me that something better was coming. Something better was waiting. And at that moment, I realized, I'm getting married to Krista. Krista is waiting. None of this matters. None of this matters. It made it a lot easier to find out that, oh, Teddy. Teddy wasn't important. There were other things that I thought, oh, that, that could fit. That's important. But at that moment, I just, it was a reminder. Something better. I'm getting married to, to Krista. Ministry will be better. Life will be better. And so i got to get moving. i got to get back because Christ is waiting. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this chapter, preceding chapters and chapters after, it kind of talks about great men and women of faith. And if you start off the beginning of the chapter, it's talking to people like Abel, that Abel, God told Abel how he was to sacrifice, and Abel obeyed, and it was counted to him for righteousness because he did it the right way. you got men like Enoch, who, who was a righteous man, and he walked with God, and finally God says, Enoch, you're not dying, you're just coming home with me. And then you got one we all would know, you know, Noah, who God told Noah, Noah, something that's never happened before is going to happen. I want you to build a great big boat. I'm going to describe it to you. It's going to take you a really long time. 
You're going to be mocked. You're going to have to preach to everybody until, until my judgment, until this event happens. And you're going to have to trust me. And Noah did. And it was counted him for righteousness. Because he looked at what God said and what was coming. And he obeyed. But then we come to chapter 8 in Hebrews chapter 11. Or verse 8 in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, and whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. I love the way the Bible phrases things sometimes, right? Like, there's Abraham, and him as good as dead. And then the verses we're going to point, uh, focus on. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they've been mindful of that, and truly have been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is in a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he prepared for them a city. If we're given that great commission, and we are, that every follower of Christ is to go in all the world, locally and across the seas, and tell others about what Jesus did and what he said, how are we supposed to do that? Now, we're told in Acts that we're going to receive the helper, the Holy Spirit. And then it specifically lists you know, where we're going to this world, which is everywhere. And then we look back here in Hebrews and we see these great men and women of faith and how they trusted God for God's promises. And we look here, and I love how that, that, that they use that phrase there, that they were pilgrims. They were pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims. It's not the first place in Scripture it calls us that, or the only place. First Peter chapter 2, it calls us strangers and pilgrims. In Ephesians chapter 2, it calls us strangers and aliens. And, and that's a part of it. Because when you see, when Abraham was called out of his city, and Abraham came from this great, great city, one of the centers of civilization in the ancient world there, and he was called out of that. He was told to leave his family behind, to leave what he knew, the culture he knew, and he was going to be taken to a promised land. And it tells us there that he, he lived in, in tents and tabernacles with his heirs, waiting on this promise that God had said that he would make a great nation out of him. A man who was, who was advanced in age, who had no children, who now had left his country behind, and he was in this promised land, living in tents in a place that did not belong to him yet. And yet he trusted God that what God said he would do, that he would keep his promises. And so he lived as a stranger and pilgrim. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Abraham sought a place that was God's country. That was God's country. That God said, hey, I'm going to bring this to pass. It's not here yet, but I'm going to do this. 
You see, if we're going to fulfill that great commission to go into all the world, you've got to be far-sighted. You have to be far-sighted. That's what Abraham was. He left his home, he left his city, because he said, hey, God, God's, God's talking to me about a country that, that's my descendants. And not only that, that he'll bless the whole world through my descendants. And we know that as Christians, that was Christ who came through the line of Abraham, through Israel. And so he was far-sighted enough to follow God, to go into a land that, that was not his yet, to live in a tent. And you think about this, even as you go back and as you study Abraham, God blessed him. God's blessings are on Abraham. He increased in wealth. His herds increased. His, his, all these things, these marker that God's blessing was on him increased in those days. And yet he lived among all these people in all these cities. And all the time he could have looked at his blessings and said, hey, uh, God, you haven't given me any place of my own yet. And all these people around me, they could take it at any time. And yet he trusted God. He lived as a pilgrim and a stranger. He was farsighted. See, a pilgrim doesn't get focused too much on the things around him because he's heading somewhere else. A stranger says, I'm strange to this place. And the moment we accept Christ our Savior, that is supposed to be us. We're going someplace else. We're looking for that same hope of God's country. God's country is ahead. We see right there we're supposed to be strange. Now, don't be too strange. Be the good kind of strange. Be Be different. Not, not, you know, uh, what, did, what was it said this morning? Uh, checked pants, strange. But we are to be different. We're to be going someplace else. And if we're going someplace else, just like I'm coming back to America, it couldn't come all with me and it couldn't all just stay there. Something had to be done. A- and that's us. And there is a freedom and a joy in that. Just as Abraham was blessed because he trusted God. And just as we see these other people, the way that God told them to live, what he told them to do, they did it. Because they trusted that they were followers of God, they were pilgrims, and this wasn't where they belonged. It's important to be farsighted. It's keeping track of what is is necessary. I remember when I came back to Montana this past summer, I got the chance to go out with Two pastor a class of sons are good friends of mine. One of them, Coulter, was in my youth group as a junior hire, and he's 30 now, which tells you how old I'm getting. And then Carson, who helped in the youth group with me. And we used to go, back when I was on staff in Montana City, uh, go on backpacking trips, like that together. So we decided to do an overnighter in the Elkhorn Mountains there. And uh, Carson and Coulter, I told them, you know, I'm not in great shape for just, like, jumping back and throwing a pack on head in the mountains. I'm like, oh, no worries. You know when you were here last year and just a year and a half ago with my first furlough back those, after that eight years? And we'll just go, uh, we went in two, three miles, and you know that, that clearing? We'll just go a little ways past there. It's just a little ways past that. I'm like, oh, that was, that was a decent hike, but if it's just a little ways you know, past that, I can do that. I learned a lesson I had forgotten. Whenever it said it's just a little ways past, that is on average between four to six miles longer than what Coulter and Carson say. And we got to that little clearing, and I remember we stopped for lunch, and I'm looking at the beauty of the Elkhorns, and, and things were still really green, you know, midsummer, and I'm looking up way up top, and I'm like, wow, look at that super green uh, park up there. It's just like brighter green than anything else. And they're like, yo, you like that? Good, that's where we're going. And I'm like, that's three, four miles, that's... That's a long way up there. And off we went. And I'll tell you what, the only way I got to the top was because I was really excited to be back in Montana. 
And I just kept putting one foot in the other. And I kept looking at that green park, saying, you know what? This is terrible. It's going to be really good when we get there. We're going to get a fire going. We're going to be able to sit around together. We'll, it'll be a great night. I just kept focused on where we were going. Not, not what the trail was like right then. I, I was having to be farsighted to get there. We have to be farsighted if we're going to be missionaries. If we're going to fulfill that great commission, we have to realize we're pilgrims and strangers. It's so easy, and especially in a great place like Montana, to get focused on all the wonderful things you can do in Montana or the life you can have. And not only that, you step back from that. It can just be so easy to get so focused on your work or maybe in your family uh, and those relationships around you that you live as if this is everything. Your whole life is here, and it's always going to be about this. And to lose sight, that it isn't. It isn't for any of us. We'll all stand before God, and he'll look at us and say, were you a faithful servant? Did you you see what I told you? I told you what was coming. I told you how to live. Did you do it? Be far-sighted. Be a stranger. Be that pilgrim traveling home and saying to people around you, hey, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did in my life. And that's the basis of missions. Telling other people what Christ has done in your life. Showing them his word. That's a missionary. Everybody can do that. Because if you're a Christian, Christ did something in your life. He changed you. He was supposed to. Be farsighted. Look ahead. Look ahead. I kind of said in my testimony that when I was a little boy, we came back to that States, and for some reason, it's just me and my dad reporting back to that church, and that I, nobody went forward that day. And there was nothing wrong with that church, just that day, nobody went forward. And I felt like I remembered. I knew what Jesus had done in my life as a little boy. I knew what he did in those Zulu lives. I knew they lived under a government that all of a sudden, after they became a Christian, it wasn't this great government. No, it was still the same oppressive government. I knew all of a sudden after they knew Jesus that, oh, they weren't going to have all of a sudden wealth. No, they were still going to be dirt poor. Life was still hard. And yet I also knew the joy and the hope they had coming to know Jesus. I thought, that's, that's worth it. When I came here to Montana, uh, you know, I loved it. Like I said, I grew up in Africa, and when I came back to the States when I was 16, it was big culture shock for a few years. Just very different way of thinking when you grew up, you know, in Africa. And when I got to Montana, that was, like I said, my first place in the States that felt like home. And I loved it. I thought for sure as I got into the Montana things and they handed me a gun and pointed me towards the elk. And I thought, yes, this is my life. I'm called to be a missionary in Montana. And it would make sense because, I mean, I grew up in another country. This is my foreign mission field. And I remember after being on staff a few years, and I came on as their youth pastor and their missionary intern. And I kept wondering, though, like, Lord, is 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 this my mission field? Or do you want me back overseas? And I remember one day there was an old mining uh, pit behind the house I stayed at. It's all 100, years, 100 yards long. It was perfect for, you know, sighting and rifles and that. So I took up the 22 and, and my Bible and went up there to shoot and just was praying some. And as I was praying, like, Lord, is this it or do you want me someplace else? And it was like the Lord gave me a picture that went through my mind. And it was like I just saw this uh, old school auditorium. And it, and it had a stage and it had this old, one of those thick, you know, uh, curtains that cover the old auditoriums. 
and it was like it had these old holes in it. And it was like I heard uh, the Lord say, Rich, if you want to stay here, that's fine. But then behind that curtain, I kind of saw through those holes in the curtain that the light was moving across the stage as if it was leaving. And it was like, Lord, Rich, if you want to stay, you can stay here. It's not wrong. But if you want to come with me, well, I'm moving on. It was kind of like just a picture in my head, but it was a good picture of me because I knew like, okay, Lord, yeah, I surrendered to do missions a long time ago. And if you still want me in that, I'll still do it. And so, you know what? I had to let go of the things I loved at that moment because it was important that others come to know Christ. I, went to, I started the process there to go as a missionary to Scotland. And there are times I still, man, I miss Montana things or I miss Africa things when I'm in Scotland. But I look at the people around me like they need Christ. And what is worth it? Am I really a pilgrim? Am I really living as a pilgrim? Am I really heading home and trying to tell others, hey, come with me, travel with me, be farsighted. It's a terrible thing to come to the end of your life and realize you aimed way, way too short. In verses 15 and 16, and truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity of return. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared for them a city. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That was Abraham. Abraham was not perfect. I encourage you to go back and read through Abraham's life. There were times where, you know, things got a little hard in the world, and he, he didn't go back to his home city, but he, like, he kind of went somewhere where it was easier. He left that place, that promised land that was said, the one day I'm going to give this to you. Or, or he would say, oh, man, God, is, you promised me descendants, but you haven't done it yet. Uh, let me see how I can help you, God. And, and it brought trouble into his life. But he didn't go home because he knew that wasn't his home anymore. He didn't turn back because he knew he was a follower of the true and living God now. And only God could keep those promises. If, if it was going to happen in his life, it's because God was going to do it. So he didn't keep looking back. Those times where he made a mistake, he repented and turned back to trusting God. And that's important. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to go into all the world, both local and the jobs you have in your families, witnessing to that neighbor who, you know, might make that relationship a little uh, tense afterwards. Uh, if you're going to make the focus of your life, you know, ministry and, and Whitehall serving others, or maybe listening to the Holy Spirit leading you someplace else to serve him. Well, yeah, you got to look ahead. you got to say, hey, no, I, I want that country. I, I know heaven is coming, and that's my country. Abraham, he's looking at the promises of God and what he would do given him in the promised land. As Christians, we know heaven is coming. Christ is returning. So we're farsighted on that, but we also can't turn back. And that's the thing. Now, you can say, I- I'm going to trust God. I-, I-, I know heaven's coming. I know Christ is returning. So, yeah, I want to be that pilgrim. But there is going to come a time when you are following Christ where you are going to want to turn back. Now, there's times you want to turn back, meaning you want to reject you know, Christ. You just want to go back and live how you want to live. But the truth is, is if you're, a lot of times it's a lot more subtle than that. It's just to turn back and make your life a little easier. It's not that you're going to stop showing up at church. It's not that you're going to, you know, start living this wild and crazy lifestyle. 
It's just that you're going to turn back from the journey of following God where he wants you to go. You're going to turn back from obedience and fulfilling that great commission because it's going to be awkward or it's going to be hard or there's going to be something that seems more important at the time. You've got to be farsighted, but you can't turn back. You've got to stay focused. You, you, you've got to, to the degree, cut those ties. You've got to say, you know what? It's not that the, the, the good things of life God has put in your life shouldn't be enjoyed. It's that they've got to be second, and they have to be third. And first place has to be him and what he wants you to do. You can't look back. You can't turn around. You can't, 2 Timothy chapter 2, says, we talked about you can't get entangled up in this world. If you're to be a good soldier of Christ, you can't get entangled up. If I, and Krista knows, I mean, she's getting to know me these last, uh, you know, five months in marriage. And I, I like my things. I like, I like my, my, my doodads, my toys. But there's a degree that if I showed up with a camel train of goods from Scotland, and she had to pick me up at the airport and go rent three vans to get us back to the house I was staying at. It's a bad sign. I'm a little focused too far over there and less with her. God looks at your life too. He says, hey, am I first? Am I, am I the primary destination in your life? Or do you keep turning back? Oh, I'll follow God, but not during this season. I'll follow God, but... This area, Lord, is just going to be really uncomfortable if, if, I, if I do what you want me to do. If I, if I talk to them, if I share with them, if I follow the Holy Spirit and you're prompting, man, this is going to get a really hard area of my life. If you surrender that it's wonderful to be American, it's wonderful to live in Montana, but that's your first home, your first citizenship, and your first loyalty is to God, that can get hard. But don't turn back. Don't turn back. I'll give you a little uh, homework that maybe you go home and read First uh, uh, Kings chapter 19, some of the chapters around there maybe too. And I love this story. It's the story of Elijah the prophet and Elisha. Now we won't go read it, but it's a story you've probably heard. And Elijah, this, this great prophet of God, Israel has turned away from God. They're following these other stone idols, a wicked king and queen. And Elijah seemed to be in the mind that if God would just show his, his power in an undeniable way, that the, the Israel would turn back to following him. And that's what happens. You know, this, this, this great test happens. And God shows his power, something only he could do. And Elijah thinks, this is it. But the people don't turn back to God in mass. Those same wicked rulers are still there. And they tell Elijah, Elijah, if you're still breathing by the end of this day, you're a dead man. And Elijah runs. He's discouraged. He's depressed. And God ends up sending him to a mountain. And as Elijah gets to this mountain, he goes into this cave, and a windstorm rocks the side of the mountain. The scripture says God was not in the windstorm. A firestorm comes across the mountain. It says that God was in the firestorm. An earthquake shakes the rocks. It says God rose in there. Then it says, a still, small voice speaks to Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? He says, I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to these foreign gods. I'm going to send to somebody that's going to help you, and you're going to help him to be a follower, a, a prophet of mine as well. And he sends him to Elisha. And that's where you kind of see this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses uh, 19. 
And it talks about that Elijah walks up and he sees Elisha out in the field. And he's got all these yokes of oxen and, and he's plowing the fields. And he seems to have come from a wealthy family. I mean, it was a big deal to have more than a few oxen. I mean, these are your tractors of the day. They got all the accoutrements, the yokes, the things that make it possible to till the land. And Elisha seems to be in charge of that. And he's out doing this work. And Elijah walks up to him and it says he throws his mantle around Elisha. And I don't know if there's something very you know, visual about a, a prophet's mantle that you knew this was a prophet's mantle. Or that somehow Elisha recognized Elijah. And that when he threw his, 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 his uh, mantle around him, he knew like, oh, he's calling me. He's calling me to follow him. He's calling me to, to be a, a prophet in training. And so Elisha says, oh, I, I'm coming, but let me go home and, and say bye to my family, to kiss my family goodbye. And Elijah says, hey, what did I do to you? Do what you want. And off he goes. Elisha runs home. And it kind of, when I first saw this, it reminded me of some uh, uh, scripture in the New Testament with Jesus about those who said, oh, I, I want to follow you, but I need to go home and you know, bury my father and these things. And Jesus is like, you know, follow me. Let the, let the dead bury their dead. But Elisha runs home. And this is what I want you to remember. I think it's a good example of not looking back. Because it would seem like he is. But he goes home and he takes a yoke of oxen and he takes the, the accoutrements of those oxen, the, the, the yoke and those things that allowed it to plow the field. And it says that he makes a fire with the tools of the trade and he kills those oxen and has a feast for the family and his friends there in community. And off he runs after Elijah. I, it doesn't say it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was his portion of the inheritance one day. That there he was running the family business and he runs home and takes his portion says, bye, Mom and Dad. This is done. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a prophet of God now. I've got to follow Elijah. I've got to learn how to do this. It's a perfect example of how we're to live our lives. That those things that would hold us back, we say, no, God, they're yours. I'm following you. Each of us are different. Some of the things that maybe <laughs> the fire has to be lit, the meal cooked, and people said goodbye. Maybe it's how much passion we put into something, something in this world around us. Maybe it's how much we don't do something out of fear. We say, Lord, my fear has got to go on that fire. I've got to put it all aside. It's all got to be given to you because I want what you want. And that was Elisha. When he realized that he is being called, he's like, yes, I want this. He was a part of those 7,000 that were faithful to follow God. And he would be used to help bring Israel back to God. It's worth it. It's worth it to be far-sighted, to set your, your sight on that heaven is coming and you're to be a missionary. It's worth it to not turn back when it gets hard, when it gets uncomfortable, and say, nope, nope, it's really hard now, but just like we look in Acts, the helper is here with me, he will help me. If we're going to fulfill that great commission to go, you've got to live your life as if you're a pilgrim and a stranger that you're an alien in this world. You don't belong here. Heaven is your home. You're a missionary. Wherever you are, you are a missionary. If you're going to feel great commission to send missionaries across this world, you've got to have that same mindset. This isn't home. That's what's important. I can't let these things hold me back. I'll end with this. There's a man in my church. Uh, this is a new presentation for us, but my old one, I had a, a picture of Derek getting baptized. And Derek, um, he had li- he's lived a quite adventurous life. He was with the, uh, what they call a para. 
which is part of their armed forces. It seems like it'd be a lot like our army rangers. And uh, he'd done this as a young man. He'd traveled all over the world. He's really interesting. You, you'd, if you ever met him, he'd, he'd be kind of a cool guy to talk to because he, he would travel around the world to watch soccer, you know, what they call football. And they call American football the NFL. Like the kids would tell me, oh, we're going to go throw the NFL <laughs> because football is soccer and that's it. That's the sport. But Derek would travel around the world and all he would do is he'd wear his kilt and he'd have a bag of T-shirts. When his T-shirts got dirty, he'd buy more T-shirts and throw the old T-shirts and he'd go off, catch, hitchhike across the world watching you know, World Cup games all over. But Derek was also a very bitter and angry man. He had seen friends killed in, in some of the uh, United Kingdom's conflicts and he was angry and bitter about it. And in fact, it had been, people had prayed for Derek for 12 years to come to know Christ. 12 years. There are still times, uh, my brother is missionary over there too in a different part, and he'd come across people who talked about the time they'd spent in Grandtown. That's where, you know, where I lived. And uh, they'd start talking about people who they might know in the, in the village. And my brother would say, oh, there's a guy named Derek. I'm like, oh, I knew a guy named Derek. He used to play football with him. I'm like, yeah, he goes to my brother's church. He's like, well, I can't be that Derek. That Derek would never be in church. Twelve years they prayed for Derek before he accepted Christ. And Derek has one of the best one-word testimonies I know of. You know, we talked about these children's ministry, and they're a great way because they'll, they'll let children come. Even if they tell you to your face, and I hear it often, like, I am not interested. First thing some people would tell you, like, hand out, not interested. But as you reach out, and you do things well for their kids, and you care for their kids, they come, and they care about their kids, so they want to come hear what you're saying. They want to see, what are you telling them? And for many Scots, although they want nothing to do with religion, they'll sit there. It'll be the first time they've ever heard the Bible, actually, though. They don't want religion, but they've never actually heard the gospel. And they'd sit and and listen. And one day, a mom, uh, Lorna, who was an atheist, her kids kept wanting to come. And so she wanted to bring them, and so she brought them, and she would sit there. We'd do kind of like you guys, uh, you know, first 10, 15 minutes, kids would sit in for the music, and then we'd have our kids, and our Sunday school's at the front of the building, which was great because uh, of the people in my church, you know, the oldest member was 105, and then it was a couple 90-year-olds, a couple 80-year-olds, a couple 70-year-olds, and there was one woman or 40, and when we started, one little boy. So we started having those kids dismissed. Man, those people, they love to see children in their church because it had been so long. And so few of the churches have that that they know about. And so they'd watch them go forward. And Lorna would stay and sit in the service and, and listen with the adults, the preaching. And she was convicted by what she heard. It wasn't what she'd ever thought before. And she happened to be a neighbor of Derek, right across the hall from each other. And one day Derek's bringing out his, his uh, rubbish, his trash, and Lorna opens the door, and there's Derek. He says, oh, hi, Derek. And Derek is a man of few words, and he says, oh, hey. It's like, Derek, you've been going to this church for a while. Do you really buy this? Yeah. Like, why? And Derek's one-word testimony is peace. That's all he said to her was peace. He'd been a man who was filled with anger, and yet after he came to know Jesus Christ was peace. That's something we can relate to, Right? something I saw in those Zulu lives. I bet you could talk to any missionary, any other church in Montana, and those who know, come to know Christ from the gospel, they would say it's peace. It's the joy they can have that can't be taken away. It's the assurance of their future. That's why we have to be farsighted. That's why you can't look back. 
Those times when ministry in Scotland, and it can be very discouraging, where it gets discouraging, usually once a year I have to go through a checklist and say, am I supposed to be here? You're like, am I doing what I'm supposed to? Yeah. Am I doing anything wrong? No. Do I think God wants me here? Yeah. Okay, I'm here, I guess. So I go back at it. It's just reminders of people like Derek that their lives can change even if I'm going through difficulty. It's a reminder that if you're called to be a missionary, that you're going through difficulty, you start pursuing you know, that, that being far-sighted, pursuing the, the God's country, start pursuing uh, heaven and trying to bring people with you. And then when you get that part where it's like, oh, this is not going how I expected. Or I don't have what, it re- what it's required to do this. I don't have the talents. That instead of turning back, you start praying and you start asking and you hold steady, and then you press forward, and you go. You go into Jerusalem. You go into Judea. You go into Samaria. You go into the uttermost parts of the earth, and you live that pilgrim lifestyle. That's, that's what we need to do missions across this world. You know, the Bible tells us 